0: welcome. Welcome, 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 welcome. All that said, let's pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations, the hearts of the faithful, by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits to prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let's open the big book on the coffee table. All right, let's see here. Reading the first reading is from Isaiah, the 48th chapter, the 17th verse and following. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I, the Lord your God, teach what is good for you. Well, first of all, let's look at this. I just want to look at this. Make sure I got the right word here. The idea of a redeemer. What is a redeemer? It's kind of an important, I think it's an important idea. Um, the the um, What's the difference between salvation and redemption? Well, let, let me pull this up. Uh, in, in Hebrew, I think the word for redeemer is goel. Let's see here. Where'd it go? Where'd it go? Ah, yes. It's a Goel. Uh, and and it, it literally means someone who buys back. Uh, and that's what it means in Latin also. Let me pull this up here. Oh, good grief. Oh, good grief, good grief. Well, it means someone who, it means, it's from the, the word to buy back. Come on. Oh, ah, computers. I'm never, never comfortable with them. Uh, and, uh, redeem. Let's look at the word redeem. Emory in Latin is to buy and re is back. So red emory means to buy back. Salvation is when you are saved from imminent disaster. Um, that's, That's what salvation is. You're about to go over the cliff and someone stops you. You've been saved. Salvation isn't enough. Now, listen carefully. Salvation is not enough. You have to be redeemed also. And to be redeemed means to be purchased back. We recently uh, talked about the presentation uh, of the Lord in the temple. At least I did. I forget where I was talking about that. But uh, um, oh, uh, St. Joseph, I I think it's a beautiful thing that that, uh, uh, the firstborn of Israel had to be bought back. Because they belonged to the Lord, the Lord had spared the firstborn of Israel in the plagues of Egypt, Uh, and the firstborn of Egypt, of course, had perished. So the firstborn belonged to the Lord, and thus you had to uh, buy them back in the offering of the poor man. Somebody asked, "Ah, that's what it was." Somebody asked the other day, "Why we thought Jesus was poor?" You know, Joseph had a trade; he must have been middle class. There wasn't much of a middle class in the ancient world. You had the rich, you had the poor. Um the 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 reason I, I think that we can be confident that our blessed mother and Saint Joseph were not among the well to do is because they made the offering of the poor, which was two turtle doves, uh, to buy Jesus back. And I think it's very touching that I I, I, I gotta call Rabbi Lazovsky about this. Um not Rabbi Lefkowitz. He's with the Lord, I trust. I you know, uh, he has gone Uh, He passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, I miss him greatly. But another friend of mine, Rabbi Lazowski, I'll have to call him and ask. But it would have been this this presentation, I think, of the offering of the poor would have happened in one of the inner courts of the temple, the court of men. And so Joseph would have carried the offering and the Christ child into that part of the temple. I am assuming our Blessed Mother, while our Blessed Mother waited, perhaps looking over in the high balcony— that uh, uh, was part of the separation of the court of women from from the court of the men. Um, so th- this 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 offering of the poor um, was to buy back the child. The child belonged to God, and and that word I think is a very important word, a redeemer. That in the ancient world, for instance, if you were captured by sl- by pirates or brigands, you would be held for ransom. Captives taken in war, were sold as slaves. And if um, your family knew where you were and they could afford it, they would go and buy you back and restore you to, position, to your position in the family. It's not enough to be saved. We need to be restored to our position in the family of God. So the Lord is our our kinsman redeemer, our Goel. Uh, you read that in the story of uh, uh, Ruth, Ruth. That that uh, Boz, who was her kinsman, did not have the right to. There was a field apparently to be bought, and Ruth came along with the field, uh, and Boz wanted very much to marry Ruth, but there was another person with the right to the field, and he had to he had to uh, abjure his right to buy that field and and with it to to uh, take the the wife of his his kinsman. So. He said, "Never mind," and Boaz bought the field. Boaz got the wife, and he, she was one of Ruth was one of the ancestors of Jesus. So that's 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 the idea of a kinsman redeemer. You're restored to the family. Uh, uh, this was Ruth. She was restored to the family of her deceased husband. Okay. So well, we've got one line down. Thus says the Lord, your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. And this is this is the Novot. I teach you what is for your good and lead you on the way that you should go." That's interesting. Uh, If you hear, if your heart would hearken, uh, I think that's always kind of funny, hearken. I mean, listen, if you would listen to my commandments or pay attention to my commandments, your prosperity would be like a river. Let's go on to the Gospel. Jesus said to the crowds, to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children who sit in marketplaces and call to one another. That phrase really jumped out at me, children who sit in marketplaces. Uh, The word is agora. It's the Greek word for uh, an assembly place, the marketplace. What are kids doing in the marketplace? Well, they did not have daycare. And if you went to sell your farm goods or something that you had made in the marketplace— you brought the kids with you, and there would be kids running around the, the marketplace. To me, this is a very charming little vignette of ancient life, uh, that, that uh, all these kids would be running in and out of the market stalls and just causing general chaos, as, uh, as kids will do. And they, Jesus seems to be quoting uh, a child's game. Uh, there's different theories about it. We played a flute, but you did not dance. We sang a dirge, but you did not mourn. I don't want to play that game. I don't want to play that game either. That that makes sense to me. That that, that interpretation. It may be a, a a game like well, you'll forgive the analogy, but Simon says the uh uh you know the the kids trying to to um, to kind of one up the other. What kids do, but. The idea being that nothing makes makes him happy. Nothing nothing satisfies, and you know it is so easy to be so very critical of things. Um, you know this isn't good enough. Well, that's not good enough either. That we all make ourselves to be experts. John was possessed by a demon because he wasn't normal. Then Jesus was very normal. He'd say, ah, he's just normal. You know, he's hanging around with a bad crowd, and then it ends with wisdom is vindicated by her works. That that phrase, um, what 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 does that mean? Well, I think in the ver. This is Matthew's version. Oh, Come on, where's my mouse? Uh, let me look this up. In I should have looked it up already, but I, it just occurred to me I should look this up. Um, the the uh, quote in Luke, I believe, and I'm talking slow so I can get it. Uh, yeah, in Luke, its wisdom is vindicated by her children, and in Matthew, it's uh, um, uh, the, the uh, uh, wisdom is vindicated by her works. But it's the same the same thing. It's it's uh, uh, wisdom is 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 justified, and and that really is the the word that's used here. Wisdom is justified. By her children. In other words, what, what what's it produce? What, what is the end result of, of, of wisdom? Uh, if something is, is really wise, it produces results. You know, I was listening to Father Rocky, and he was quoting someone who said um, uh, that, uh, this is the way I heard the proverb, that um, knowledge is the awareness that the tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is the good sense not to put it into a fruit salad or to serve it for a dessert. Uh, the, uh, uh, <clears throat> this, this idea of wisdom is, is how knowledge can be applied in a way that's beneficial. Knowledge, well, knowledge is great stuff. But wisdom has children. Wisdom has works. It produces something. Wisdom that does nothing is, well, it's not very wise. Uh, all right, let's get back to this. Never tell me what you believe. I, I can see what you believe by what you do. Now, I'm, of course, exaggerating, and one should, as I always say, take it with a grain of salt. But the, uh, the, the idea that somehow I can believe something or I can hold something to be true or I can be aware of something and I do nothing. Well, it's pointless. Why even bother to know? But wisdom wisdom is vindicated by her works. Wisdom is vindicated by her children. That, that um, if, if something is wise, it causes action. And I think we need to understand that. Now, just kind of in a general way, and forgive me because uh, you've heard me say this a whole lot. Uh, the... The idea that—well, that, that uh, well, how to back up? I, I, you know, I say this, and, and, and people say, you mean I shouldn't pray for things? No, you can pray for things, and if they are useful to your salvation, God will give them to you. He's very generous. But the prayer of the pagan, you often hear me say, is give me what I want— we somehow think that by certain rituals, certain actions, we convince God to do what we want. Isn't that what prayer is for—getting God to do what we want? And fasting. Well, if we're really miserable, God will feel sorry for us and give us what we want. That's nonsense. You know, God—God God is going to give us what—give us what's best for us. He loves us and He wills our good. And you know, St. Thomas Aquinas wisely and wonderfully says that that. Um, even the sinner is seeking the good. Yeah, sinner seeking the good. You know, it's a good thing to rob this bank because I'll have lots of money, be able to take care of my family, be able to live well. So I'm gonna rob this bank. No, it's not gonna work out the way you think it is. I've never known a rich thief, and I've known a lot of thieves in my life. Uh, that no, the the uh, uh, sin is never for the good. But you see. We allow ourselves to want what we want and to refuse to listen to the counsel of God. (sighs) Look at the story of the sin of Adam and Eve. Think about it. Eve saw the fruit of the tree and saw that it was good for food and good for the gaining of knowledge. Those are good things, aren't they? No, they're not good things if God says don't do it. The prayer of the pagan, once again, is, Lord, give me what I want. And that certainly is my prayer most of the time. The prayer of the believer is, Lord, teach me your ways. Teach me your ways, O Lord. That's the prayer of the believer. And if I refuse to listen to the counsel of God and refuse to to honor God by saying your plan is better than mine, this is what I would like, Lord, but I know you've got a plan and your plan's better than mine. If I can't say that, that's an idolatry. It's a kind of blasphemy to say, God— your opinion is not important. Shut up and listen. That's what we're saying to God when, when, when we, we don't trust his will. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm saying this out of the fullness of my heart. I, I rarely remember this when I'm praying. So, oh, Lord, get me out of this mess. Do what I want. Amen. So, I think this is an important insight that, that when we refuse to take counsel, the counsel of God, we're, we're playing with Disaster. First reading says it. I'm your redeemer. I I'm. I want to teach you what is for your good, and then the gospel. Uh, people made themselves the judge of God when they became the judge of Christ. So, don't do that. Understand that that uh, God's plan is perfect, and it, it, the spiritual life. Well, I mean, I've said this at least a thousand times god has this problem he thinks he's god and 99.99% of what he's going to do in my life and in yours is to convince us of that fact if we can get get that lesson learned that god is god and i am not then we begin to 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 grow in the spiritual life but that's lesson 1 uh, you know speak lord your servant listens well all that said we're going to go to a break we'll come back with uh, well well Uh, with letters and uh, I just want to kind of revisit a letter uh, that I've been thinking a lot about and uh, you can call in the phones are open at 888-914-9149 that's 888-914-9149 we'll be right back This hour is sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds, where financial goals are aligned with pro-life values, and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com.
1: Friends
0: to go the radio. Go oh, you can always find a friend here at Relevant Radio. There you go. I wanted to mention that uh, the, the the Advent Carols of Comfort and Joy are wonderful preparation for, for Christmas. And I is today, dear voice in my head, young Thomas. I have the alternate voice in my head. It's Oh uh, in Dulce Jubilo today, which is uh, what, it's one of my favorite Christmas carols. It's it's uh, so I think it's I think it was originally a German carol, but it's in Latin and uh I think Father Rocky mentions or somebody mentions that it's in two lines. It's actually in three because they throw in Alpha O. Alpha is Greek for A. So it's just a little smidgen of Greek in there. We always like a little smidgen of Greek. All right. And also, um, don't forget, um, uh, uh, we have the Merry Beggars presenting Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. It's for the second year in a row, and they are a wonderful young troupe of actors. So go to the the the, the uh, website or the app and just it's easy to find Charles Dickens A Christmas Carol acted out by them. And um, right now we're gonna go to letters. Okay, I, I I wanna visit a letter that we kind of have sort of talked about already. Let me let me make it bigger. I can I figured out finally how to do well actually the first voice in my head told me how to make things bigger all right this is from our Orthodox friend Betsy in Sacramento California. she has a list of, of questions that you know things why do we Catholics do this um, and I think it's very important that that Greek Orthodoxy recognizes I believe now don't 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 get upset if I'm wrong but I think the first five ecumenical councils after that they they feel that they are not, uh, truly ecumenical truly the whole church I think up to is it up to the Council of Chalcedon I'd, I'd have to look it up but um, it's an interesting structure um, that that there is no Greek Orthodox Russian Orthodox there's no Pope uh, in the Orthodox Church what you do have is you have patriarchs uh, but, but it isn't nearly the uh, the uh, the same thing as the papacy. The papacy, we believe, has a has a responsibility uh, as a universal patriarch. It's different. So, say that again, Tom. Seven, not five. Seven, seven ecumenical councils. There we go. But um, the the um, the result is that each bishop is responsible for. Uh, the preservation of that that tradition. And we really agree with them in that. The, the Holy Father doesn't create new doctrine. We don't believe there is new doctrine. It's all been revealed in Christ, and there is no new doctrine in the Catholic Church. Now, it does flesh out and apply itself to the current age, but the doctrine doesn't change. And that's the point I'm trying to make here, that that the doctrine doesn't change. Humanity does. God does not change. We do. The Orthodox get very upset with us because they claim we've added something to the creed. We say that that um, that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. And I think this is a good thing to talk about, to explain uh, the changes that we do make. Uh, the... the the Holy Spirit proceeds, we believe, from the Father and the Son. Now, most early uh, commentators would have agreed with that. And I think most Orthodox uh, 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 commentators now would agree that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and also from the Son. What can be said about the Father can be said about the Son. That that uh, some people would qualify to say the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father through the Son. But, you know, I, I think that there's not a real argument about that. The argument is about why did you insert it into the creed? The creed was fixed in the first seven ecumenical councils. Why have you Westerners, why have you uh, Latin Catholics, Roman Catholics, and that's what they call us, Latins, why have you added that to the creed? There's a very specific reason that <clears throat> the Aryan heresy persisted in Spain. That, that uh, the Visigoths who conquered the Roman province of Spain and ruled it for centuries, they were Aryan Christians. They didn't believe that Jesus was co-eternal with the Father. They didn't believe that Jesus was quite as divine as the Father. Uh, that They they thought of sort of the military chain of command, the Father's on top, then the Son, then the Holy Spirit. And we don't think that. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one in being and, and uh as I said, what can be said of one a member of the Trinity can be said of the other. But this attitude that Jesus was somehow sort of a lesser form of God persisted in Spain because of the Visigothic rulers, even after uh, uh, the the conquest of 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 Spain by by the Muslims. So it seems that Charlemagne, around the year eight hundred, you know, the, the the Muslims conquered Spain when was it, was it 720 or 712? Uh, The Muslims conquered Spain and uh, uh, the the peninsula was slowly taken back over the course of the next 700 years. Islam was a a dominant presence in much of Spain for 700 years. And inch by inch, starting a few centuries after the the Muslim conquest, the uh, Spaniard Christians from the north took back the country. And... The problem persisted. So Charlemagne, no. who was crowned emperor of the West in 800 by the Pope, he, I think it was he who insisted that they add the verse and from the sun, which in Latin is called filioque. Que means and when it's tacked at the end of a word, and filio is his son. So filio means from the sun or with the sun, and filioque means and from the sun. It is interesting that Eastern Christians who are in union with the Pope do not add the filioque clause. They don't say, and from the sun. That was particularly applied to the West, where this Arianism persisted. My point being in this, this was a specific cultural and historical problem that was addressed by this apparent change. It isn't a change in doctrine. It's a change in discipline. And I think that that, that's an important thing to understand. Things change not because the gospel is true or not uh, not because the gospel isn't true or the gospel is adaptable and not because the deposit of faith can change. The deposit of faith is fixed. What we believe is fixed. The Pope does not and cannot create new doctrines. He can only emphasize those doctrines which a society or a time is is, what's the word is, is abandoning. So Betsy asks body, blood, soul and divinity, when did soul and divinity get added? The, the Greeks believe that the Eucharist is the body and blood of Christ. They essentially they don't call it, I don't think they use our vocabulary, but they believe what we believe, that this is truly the body and blood of Christ. <clears throat> so, when and why do we add soul and divinity? I do not know when that phrase was added. I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if it was added in the, uh, uh, oh gosh, in the uh, in the Middle Ages uh, because of Eucharistic miracles. But, you know, again, I, I don't know when it was added. But I can tell you why it was added. Because in the West, you know, it, when a miracle happens in the Eastern Church, in the Orthodox Church, in the Eastern churches uh, that are united to the Pope, they just say, "Oh boy, it's a miracle." Whereas in the West, we say, "Bring it to a bring it to a scientist. We got to verify this." We, they don't do that. They find that disrespectful of the miraculous, and they may have a point. But we tend to a certain, at least, at least among us Germans, this is historically true and currently true. We tend to a certain skepticism and pseudoscientificism. Is that a word? It is now. Uh, We we just want to be scientific about it. We want to put God under a microscope. And so the cynicism, well, really the body and blood, yes, the body and blood, soul, and divinity. In other words, the full humanity because human beings have an immortal soul and divinity – Divinity doesn't need an immortal soul. It is the the, immortal—the divinity, I don't know if this is the proper way to say it, but divinity is the mortal soul, immortal soul of all things and all realities. Uh, So, uh, solemnity, that's just uh, a a fancy Latin word for feast. So, uh, it's a solemn feast. In other words, we have a a solemn obligation to observe it. That's why we say solemnity. But now, on to fasting— in the Greek church, they abstained from food and drink from midnight on. When I was a little boy, we abstained. I, before I'd made my first communion, we abstained from food and drink from midnight on. Well, why did that change? Because the society changed greatly. Uh You know, these things that change, that can change, such as adding soul and divinity to the phrase body and blood, or calling something a solemn feast or a solemnity instead of just a feast, or even fasting uh, before communion, these are not part of the deposit of faith. These are disciplines, which can be changed according to the advantage that they bring to the preaching of the gospel in society. Now, I wonder if we— I said the other day that we have so de-emphasized fasting that maybe that's a mistake. Um, People would say, oh, we don't have to abstain from meat on Friday anymore. Well, that isn't exactly what was said. We must do penance on Friday, and the usual penance is abstaining from meat. Well, but you don't have to. No, you don't have to. You can substitute another penance, but Friday's a day of penance. That's what we believe. It's not part of the deposit of faith. Jesus didn't tell us, well, you have to fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. In, in, in the Middle Ages and until, uh, I believe, a few centuries ago, we didn't fast like the Greeks on Wednesdays and Fridays. But now we just limit it to, to, to Friday. And those were done for perfectly good cultural reasons. You know, this uh, whole thing, the whole snafu about about uh, uh, the scattering of ashes, the the... the the authorities of the Vatican have not said you can scatter anyone's ashes willy-nilly, though they will allow for the common spreading of ashes on sacred ground. Um, that that is a bit of a new thing, but the cultural reality now is most people are cremated. That 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 actually being interred is becoming rather rare. And I, I was very kind of surprised <laughs> what the document actually said. You know, people are saying, well, the church is saying this. Have you read the document? Have you read what's said? Well, no, but I heard it on the news. And if it's on television, it must be true. Yeah, right. No, the church has not said that. You still must guard the remains of the human body in a sacred place. Um, that's that's important. Um but that's a change that that reflects the, the change of culture. I don't think it's a good change of culture. Uh, we've been burying the dead since the Neanderthals, and uh, you know that this is this is normative for all societies, whether they cremated or interred. The, the, those those remains, whether they were ashes or or a, a body, were, were carefully guarded. But the society is losing its roots, and um, you know. I think. I think that you know. The, the 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 jury is still out of whether we resist it or we say this is not. This is not a hill we should pick to die on. You know. You pick the hill you want to die on. Abortion. Not going to change. It's murder. It's not going to change. And surprisingly, the ordination of women. It is fascinating that you may think the current pontiff is. Is more progressive than his predecessors. I don't know that that's true at all. Um, but he has reiterated the the, uh, the statement of the two previous popes that that Jesus uh, limited ordination to, to men. Well, that's not fair. What do you mean it's not fair? <laughs> it, it it reflects the human reality which is unchangeable. Uh, that that uh, women are the givers of life by their very physical nature. Men, not so much. I think of the ordination of men as kind of affirmative action for the weaker sex. And I always joke that when we say a weaker sex in the old country, we mean men. So, Betsy, I've been really thinking about this letter and the idea of change. The gospel does not change. The truth does not change. God does not change. And the deposit of faith that we have received from the apostles does not change. The Orthodox Church, the, the Roman Church, we have these things in common— However, societies do change, and uh, uh, customs change, and we need to speak the gospel in a language that can be heard by the, the people who live in the culture where we are preaching it. And um, it's a little difficult and a little risky, but you know, as the gospel says today, wisdom will be vindicated by her children. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. We should just be just as willing to say, you know, we tried this experiment, it didn't work, we're going back to what we had, and we'll, we'll try again. I think that that also, change for the sake of change, is is a pointless exercise. But refusal to change, just because we refuse to change, is also a pointless exercise. The gospel, the truth, the Lord, the deposit of faith, cannot and do not change. Human society in which the gospel is preached... That changes a lot. All right. That said, we're going to go to a break. We'll come back with the word of the day, which I think is a great fun one. And uh, and the phones are open at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. Network sponsor Time Bank can make remote account opening easy. No matter where you are in the country, they offer mobile and online banking and knowledgeable bankers that answer the phone. More information at Time.Bank. That's Time.Bank. Member FDIC. Then you better start
1: swimming or you sink like a stone. All the times, they are a change.
0: The times there are changing. Oh, good Lord. That was practically the anthem of my youth. Yes, yes. And that the dawning of the age of Aquarius. How did that work out for us? Yeah, my generation, we're going to end war and misery and poverty and everything. Hmm, not so much. All right. I want to go to uh, phones. And, of course, that is our toll-free line. Sponsored. Oh, the word of the day. I forgot the word of the day. God, have have the word of the day. Where's the gong? The word of the day is gifts. Uh, there are seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, and uh, let me let me pull this up here. Come on, where did I go here? Okay, there we go. What? I thought there were all these other gifts. I'm going to explain something. Uh, let me let me put this in. Seven gifts. Okay, okay, seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. The seven gifts of the Holy Spirit are wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord. That's a quote from Isaiah. Wait, what about speaking in tongues and healing and all those other gifts? Those are not gifts of the Holy Spirit. Those are manifestations of the Holy Spirit for the common good. You know... I, when I was involved at the very beginning of the Pentecostal movement, as we called it, and, and it came to be called the Charismatic Renewal because we got into feuds about theology, um, the uh, uh, people didn't know a whole lot. I wish I'd known them what I know now, but if I knew them what I know now, I wouldn't know now what I know now, if that makes any sense to you. Um, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they, they, they're referred to as a general category of, of charisms, charismata, which means something that is freely given. But the word for gift in Greek is doron. And that word doesn't apply to, uh, you know, babbling in Babylonian and, and, and prophesizing and all them other gifts. That, that those are in the scriptures are called the phanerosis. The manifestations, they're the exterior manifestations of the indwelling spirit, and they are for the common good. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord, are gifts that are given when you are in a state of grace. And the idea is that they are for your spiritual growth so that you can be useful and wise and and fruitful in your in your work in the church, they're two different things. And this little harangue is not going to change a thing. People are still going to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But understand the word gift does not apply to the the so-called extraordinary charisms of of speaking in tongues and prophesying and healing and the discernment of spirit. Those are not, those are not gifts. That's not the word that's used in Greek they are manifestations and it is very important if you're involved in that move in those movements it's very important to understand that those are not for you they are for the common good they are for the common good they are gifts of they are well i use the word gifts but they are they are freely given abilities for ministry in the church and and this is you know it gets very confusing. I, the reason I say this is because people say, "Well, I thought the gifts of the Holy Spirit were wisdom, understanding, counsel, yada yada," and other people say, "I thought the gifts of the Holy Spirit were prophecy and healing and and discernment and speaking in tongues." No, those are manifestations. Gifts are things that are given to the individual by the Holy Spirit that they might grow in the Lord. That's how I see them. All right, let's go to phone calls. The chin is ringing. I know, I know. It's Rose from Los Angeles. Rose, what can I do for you? Good morning,
1: Father Simon. I wanted to ask you something that, um, that I've heard in, uh, over my time as a convert uh, to the Catholic Church. Mm. This, this is the term I've heard often, respecter of persons.
0: Yes, God is not a respecter of persons. Just as a good parent, you know, uh, people used to say to my mother, oh, you must be so proud to have a son who's a priest. And she would say, I'm proud of all my children. She loved and respected me, but not more than my brothers and sisters. In other words, there is an equality uh, uh, before before God that nobody gets special clout. Now, people say God loves another person, one person more than another. I don't believe that. I believe that God's love for every individual is infinite. He loves people differently and calls them to different things, but he loves all of us infinitely, and you can't have more or less infinity. So God, like a good parent, does not single out one child as his favorite child. You may have a favorite child, but you don't tell them, and you certainly don't tell their brothers and sisters. Does that explain it, Rose?
1: It does, Father. I have really learned so much i'm eighty four years old oh. father, and i've and I have been following my faith for many years, and I have learned that there have been so many changes and but I have been blessed with holy priests like yourself, oh. and I have become disciples of your your insights, your wisdom, and your wit, Father. And today I learned a couple of things about that gospel. Today uh, I've often wondered about many gospels, but that about the children in the marketplace. Well, as soon as you said, well, in those days the children didn't have
0: babysitters. There was no daycare.
1: Yeah, I, I like that, and that just put everything into perspective about well, there that. You go. I always wondered.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just it's a very so human thing. The kids are running all, all over the place, and uh, you know now, of course, we have uh, the motto is uh, to put on your 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 safety helmet and your knee pads, kiss your father good night. I mean, you know, we're, we're these hover parents now. They weren't hovering back then. So, well, I'm honored that you listen. And just remember, take it with a grain of salt. You know, I'm well, not infallible you, by father. any means. Well, God bless. Thanks, thank Rose. So I'm honored that God you listen. You. All right. God bless you, Father.
1: Thank Bye-bye. You.
0: Let's go to Craig from San Jose, California. Are you with us, Craig? What can I do for you?
1: Yeah, hey, Father. Um, <clears throat> This saying where god- uh never gives you more than what you you can't handle
0: is that biblical, and what exactly does that mean because you know first we we bring on a lot of problems ourselves, and you could yeah. say, well that's not from god i mean you you see <clears throat> in the streets these days people getting attacked, beaten, shot, and stabbed to death yes. you know just at random. I mean, what does that mean, that God never gives you more than what you can handle? I can go on and— Well, yeah, uh, Craig, I don't—I've never seen that in the Bible anyway, and I've read it a couple of times. God gives us a lot more than we can handle. God never gives us anything that he can't handle, uh, which is different. And, you know, the the, uh, the darndest thing about Christianity is we have a humble God. You know, that, well, God can do anything— yeah, he can, but he chooses not to because he gives us perfect freedom. And I, when someone says, someone, I had an uncle who was shot in his store. Well, it's the will of God. No, it wasn't. It was not. It was not. My uncle was killed. was not, uh, this is many years ago, but that my uncle was killed. That was not God's will. You know, God allows evil to happen because we choose it. He's given us absolute freedom, and he will make it all right in the end. My uncle was devout and a very godly man, and I believe I will see him again. But to say that someone come into his, show, his store 10 minutes after it opened uh, and shot him to death for 10 bucks, that wasn't God's will. You know, God never gives us any more than more than he can handle. And he really did pour out his grace on us at that difficult time. And uh, Yeah, well— People keep saying this in Christians like I know. it's biblical, and I've heard it my whole I've life. Never, I've never seen it in the Bible, you know, uh, uh, things like God will make a way or God will bring good out of evil. You know, we, we read that when, when Joseph was uh, sold into slavery by his brothers, uh, Joseph, the child of Jacob, Israel— uh, he said when, when he was reunited with his brothers, when he was the vizier of Egypt, he said, you meant it for my harm, but God meant it for my, for our good. So, so there you go. So I hope that helps a little, and God bless. Thanks so much. Again, I'm honored that you listen. Let's go to Jerry from Aurora, Illinois.
2: Hi, Father.
0: Yes, what can I do for you?
2: This is my first time calling. Oh, welcome. yeah. Uh-huh. Anyway, I have a question that includes the Bible.
0: Oh, that yeah, the big book. Yes,
2: I had a, I had a, a presentation on Hanukkah by a person of Jewish roots. Yes, and when she started out, of course, she said this is not in the Bible, and I corrected her and said it's <laughs> in the Catholic Bible. But anyway, uh, I know that the seven books. That the Protestants don't have were kicked out of the Bible by the rabbis at the Council of Jamnia about 90 or 100
0: A.D. More, yeah, essentially, they, yeah. They, yeah the weren't rec- they weren't they weren't recognized by the by the by the the the, uh, the because the they were Scouts. in Greek rather than Hebrew. Well, they, at the time they didn't have Hebrew originals, but since then Hebrew originals have been found, like the fragments of them, the Dead Sea Scrolls. But go on, go on.
2: Well, that was my question. Is there any modern scholars that have found that the Maccabees or Judith or any of these other books uh, do have?
0: There are original? fragments of Hebrew originals for some of them. I, I offhand, I don't know exactly uh, which which fragments are there. And we do see those uh, those so-called apocryphal books quoted in the New Testament occasionally. So. Uh, yeah, they were regarded as scripture at the time of Christ, but there was no strict canon, no strict reading list of books uh, at the time of Christ. There were books that were generally regarded as inspired, and one group would think this was inspired, another group would think it wasn't. But essentially, uh, we we read the Bible that was read by Greek-speaking uh, Jews at the time of Christ. So, oh, I told the group that yeah. because I knew that.
2: I said Jesus would have been exposed to all these books. Oh, sure.
0: Yeah. Huh. as were yeah. the as were the disciples so
2: yeah exactly well, that, that was my, that was my question well, if good. there's any evidence of them being in Hebrew yes and there see, is there are, and i thought there would was from the dead sea scrolls
0: yes so there are is right. evidence from some of them. anybody who wants to learn about the dead sea scrolls to me one of the clearest experts on them is uh, dr john bergsma a wonderful scholar and a wonderful guy so i hope that helps a little thanks so much
2: What's his last name?
0: Bergsma, B-E-R-G-S-M-A. Dr. John Bergsma. Bergsma, okay. Bergsma, B-E-R-G-S-M-A. Great scholar. All right, let's go to Shirley. What can I do for you, Shirley?
1: Hi, Father. How are you? Yes. I mean, Questions I have for you is, um, you know, some of the other questions. That, mm-hmm. You know, I have families, and they are doesn't seem like, for them, Mother Mary is important in our lives. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it's so difficult to tell them that, have you seen the Bible? (laughs) You know, I mean, you're reading the Bible, but you're not considering Mother Mary an important part of our Christian life. Jesus will not be here. I mean, in my mind, you know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, it's always said in the scripture we have to get along. Yeah. Uh, So it's hard to... Because I'm pretty sure they're always interjecting things for
0: their own. Well, beliefs. you know but that's not how I do it. Surely if 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 you get into a disc I would avoid that discussion with them. You know, it 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 rarely does any good. But if you're in a discussion with them, just say, "Well, the Bible does say in in the Gospel of Luke that all generations will call her blessed. How are you calling her blessed? You know that that that's as far as I would go." And. The way that we can convince people of the truth of what we believe is not by what we say so much as by who we are and what we do. If they see something wonderful in us, they're going to want it. And, uh, uh, you know, I I don't think we have uh, to—as St. Peter says in, I believe, his first epistle, be prepared to defend this faith, this hope of ours, when you are asked— so if someone asks you why do you why do you get all excited about blessed mother say oh because she was she was so loved by Jesus and she she was the first the first person in history to accept Christ and the Bible says we have to call her blessed that's why and then move on the more you argue about it probably the less you're going to convince them you know that that there's yeah. certain things you know you say what you have to say and then then they're going to look at your life and see if your life reflects what you've said you know, that I, there's a saying, I can't hear what you're saying because what you do speak so much more loudly than what you say. Mm. So just, you know, you, you really have to just be the best, best person you can be. When they ask, mm-hmm. why are you such mm-hmm. a wonderful thing? Say, well, because I try to imitate our Blessed Mother the way she imitated Jesus. That'll do. God bless. And I'm honored okay. that you listen, Shirley. Thank you Thank so you. much. God bless you. Let's go to Betty from Winter Park, Florida. I've actually been to Winter Park. Betty, I don't know why they call it Winter Park. No, winter. You guys are getting some weather down there, aren't you? Oh, we got 30 seconds. What What can I do for you? i quit talking.
1: Yes. So I want to know, are parish priests mandated to evangelize, or is that something that's supposed to be left up to some
0: of the other missionaries or something? Well, every Christian is mandated to evangelize. Um that we evangelize by who we are, as I said to, to uh, uh, Shirley, that, that the example of our life and the, the the respect and courtesy with which we treat people. Uh, that that the work, however, of the church and the world, that's the point of the Second Vatican Council, that's the work of the lady. But speaking of evangelizing, Drew is coming up.